Hello, everyone, and welcome to this super special episode of I Want to Watch the Very Best Because Gotta Watch Em All Was Taken. So before we start, just a friendly reminder that I might not be able to put out anything next week. I'm going to try for it, but there's no promises, unfortunately. I will try my hardest to get something for you, though, so we'll see what happens. To be honest, um, not much has really been going on in my life that's really worth talking about. I've just been slowly chipping away at the same projects I have been, um, overloading myself, and just doing my best. But since the Porygon episode, this is probably going to be the biggest project this podcast has tackled, which is a whole big giant movie summary. It's uh, three episodes in one, and a larger analysis than I usually do at the end of an episode. So, wish me luck, because I'm... Recording the intro and the ending and everything all in one go. Let's let's do this. Yeah! Pokemon the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. And yeah, it is kind of funny they localized it as the first movie, but in some fairness, it was released in the U.S. after the second movie came out in Japan. So they knew there was at least one other in the works. Still a weird choice though. Synopsis. Ash's group, along with many other trainers, are invited to a mysterious island to battle the so-called greatest Pokemon trainer. In actuality, the trainer is Mewtwo, who confusedly seeks his place in the world, with Ash and his friends having to stop the Pokemon from taking said world over. For some context, there are a couple different openings to this movie, and I'm watching the one with Mewtwo's origin story. Somewhere in the jungle, a research expedition funded by Team Rocket looks for ruins that supposedly once honored Mew, theorized to be the first Pokemon. As the lead researcher, Dr. Fuji, narrates his experiences, Mew curiously watches the group in secret. Fuji explains that Giovanni wanted to create an enhanced clone version of Mew, Fuji only agreeing as he had his own plans for the experiment. In the ruins, the group finds traces of Mew in the form of a fossil, and almost spot Mew following them before it flies off into the distance. Using DNA from the fossil, a team of scientists create an altered clone of Mew, Mew 2, which gains sentience and in incubation, wondering what it even is as it floats in the void, only faintly hearing and sensing others outside its incubator. While wondering what the noises the people are making even are, a female voice explains to him that those are words used by people to talk to one another. She then appears in front of Mewtwo as a little girl, commenting on how impressive it is that Mewtwo, a Pokemon, can even talk. After trying to explain the difference between people and Pokemon, the girl then introduces a Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle clone that also share this mind space. Outside, the scientists wonder why Mewtwo and Ambertwo's brain activity is spiking, suggesting Mewtwo may be telepathically communicating with all the clones, Fuji looking at Amber's pod hopefully. The clones then fly around the mind space, Amber 2 explaining that they're all copies, but she still considers herself Amber despite this. Fuji then flashes back to his past, his wife angrily asking why he's trying to clone their deceased daughter, saying he should just accept the fact that she's gone before leaving him. Fuji then vows to do anything to see his daughter again. One day, the scientists discuss how good all the clones are looking, the chances at least one of them surviving looking good and that Giovanni should be pleased, and Fuji will be one step closer to bringing his daughter back to life as well. In the mind space, Amber shows her friends a vision of her town, and explains to Mewtwo what the sun, the wind, the moon, and all of the stars are. 
However, just as she starts explaining that the stars are there to help people feel less lonely on dark nights, Charmander 2 suddenly starts fading away into nothingness, as the scientists worriedly watch life and brain signals decrease in the real world. Bulbasaur 2 and Charmander 2 also fade away, Mewtwo asking where they went. Amber 2 finally begins to vanish as well, her father watching as she dies for the second time. She bids farewell to Mewtwo, who feels sadness for the very first time. Amber 2 explains that he's crying, and her dad once said that Pokemon tears are full of life before saying goodbye one more time, telling Mewtwo that he should be happy to experience the wonder of life as she vanishes as well. Mewtwo cries for Amber to come back, beginning to go on a psychic rampage in the real world. Fuji demands they administer a sedative to Mewtwo, both to calm him and make him forget what happened with his friends, putting him back into his motionless void. But as he matures, he can't help but feel like he's forgetting something important, the thought that life is supposed to be beautiful being the only thing he can even recall. Some shots of water, seaweed, and a mountain are all shown, a narrator explaining how fascinating life is while Mew flies around these scenes. Mewtwo's voice whispering, what am I, and other such questions in the background. He is then awoken, confused on who all the people watching him are, before sleeping and waking up again. He knows that he must be outside his tube, so he breaks the glass surrounding himself. The scientists are initially frightened, but Dr. Fuji then welcomes him into the world, explaining that he is Mewtwo, a clone of Mew. Mewtwo is angry to be a shadow of something else, but Fuji tries to tell him that, well, actually, he's the superior and enhanced version. As the team start congratulating one another and plan to start the next round of experiments, Mewtwo slowly realizes that they don't care that he is alive, but that he is alive, nothing more than a successful test. Angered at the conditions of his own existence, he begins to angrily destroy the lab. Robot arms try to restrain him, but he easily blasts them away and continues with his destruction. Fuji watches from the ground, horrifiedly realizing that they truly succeeded in making the world's strongest Pokemon. The entire island lab is blown up, Mewtwo standing in the wreckage and declaring his superiority to both Mew and the rest of the world. Giovanni then lands in a helicopter and convinces Mewtwo that he sees Pokemon as an ally, not a tool, offering to help him control the world. Mewtwo initially refuses, but Giovanni adds that power without control will just destroy everything, not rule it, and Mewtwo cautiously agrees to partner with him. The Pokemon is outfitted with the armor seen in the series, and complains about it suppressing his power, Giovanni explaining that his power is merely being focused, not suppressed. He then sends Mewtwo out to battle in his gym, where he instantly KOs an Onix. We then get a montage of Mewtwo helping Team Rocket capture Pokemon, while also battling gym trainers, including Gary, all with ease. However, Mewtwo eventually wonders what his purpose is in this world. Giovanni's pride gets the better of him, and he answers that Mewtwo's purpose is to serve his master, Giovanni himself. Mewtwo feels betrayed, with Giovanni saying they were partners. But, testing fate even further, the man says that the Pokemon was created solely to serve him. Enraged, Mewtwo breaks free, deciding that he can only trust and rely on himself. 
He causes another explosion, Giovanni fleeing as the base is destroyed and Mewtwo flies away, the armor falling off of him. Also not shown on screen, Jesse, James, and Meowth planning on quitting only to run to the base as Ash dresses up as a Mr. Mime elsewhere. Mewtwo then returns to the destroyed remains of the lab he was created in, wondering once again what his purpose is. He then vows to search for his own truth and destroy any who oppose him, no matter who they might be. The reign of Mewtwo will soon begin. We then get a 3D computer-generated title screen, before cutting to Ash's group, who are taking a break and having a picnic on a scenic, grassy, oceanside cliff. Togepi almost falls off the edge, and Pikachu falls trying to save them, just barely climbing back up. Ash complains about how hungry he is, Misty yelling at him for not even doing anything that day, and Brock assuring him that food will be ready soon. A tough guy that looks like a Team Aqua member that joined Team Magma approaches the group, saying he's looking for a trainer named Ash from Pallet Town. After Ash confirms his identity, the man challenges Ash to a battle, Ash quickly jumping up and accepting. We then get a common sight for future movies, either a battle or a chance to relax and see all the Pokemon. This one being the former, Ash sending out his Pokemon as the opening credits play to the sides of the screen. This one is actually interesting for a couple reasons though. One, the song playing is a remix of the opening from the TV series, which is fun. And two, throughout the whole thing, the scene occasionally gets this TV monitor filter on it, someone spying on Ash. And three, his opponent uses a Dawn fan, a Gen 2 Pokemon. This is fascinating to me because future movies, especially Generation 3, use the movies as a chance to show off a select couple Pokemon from the next generation, putting the spotlight on them and hyping them up a bit. But the first time this ever happens, unless you count Togepi, is some random guy's Dawn fan which shows up for all of one minute. It's just such an interesting choice considering what they do later. Anyway, after that trainer's team is demolished, Ash celebrates while a man gives a Joseph Joestar scream. Oh, oh no! Team Rocket also spies on Pikachu, planning their next theft. But Meowth complains that he'd rather steal some food right now instead. I can cook something. Thanks, but the last time you cooked, you wiped out eight of my nine lives. <clears throat> The spy cam from the battle is revealed to be worn by a Fero, which sends footage of the group eating to a giant computer monitor in a funky looking room. A woman then asks her unseen master if she should send them an invitation, confirming she will after receiving a silent reply. A Dragonite with a leather bag is sent off flying from a tower, sailing across the ocean and towards Ash's group, knocking them and the rockets away with its speed before landing. Ash, completely unfazed to see a Dragonite, tells it to watch where it's flying, before the large chubby friend gives the boy a letter. He opens it, and a hologram of the mysterious woman appears. She cordially invites them to a special event hosted by the world's greatest Pokemon trainer, held in a castle on New Island. A fairy will leave later that day, and only trainers that present the invite will be allowed in. Ash is then requested to RSVP. Misty asks if they should really go, with Brock insisting that they should so he can meet the woman, and Ash wanting to fight the world's best trainer. As such, he ticks yes on the leather and gives it to the Dragonite to deliver. Almost immediately after taking off again, the Dragonite is hit with a frying pan and halted by the rockets. 
They see his RSVP and try to figure out what it's for. Meanwhile, the figure in the chair, gasp, big twist, revealed to be Mewtwo, begins to use his powers to create a storm over the water, causing torrents of rain to fall and giant waves to form. Personally, I think it would have been cooler not seeing him make the storm, having it revealed later, but that's just my take though. Sensing his power, Mew awakens from a bubble underneath the water in a forest lake, surfacing and flying off to see what's going on. Ash's group runs through the rain to a fairy port building, where inside some Pokemon and their trainers grow restless. Shortly afterwards, Jenny and the harbor manager announce that the waters are too rough to set sail, angering many of the trainers who sought to make it to New Island for the same invite Ash received. The harbor manager then goes off on this really weird unrelated tangent. Listen to me. The prophets have predicted the return of the winds of water. For years I have prayed that mankind would never witness that deadly storm ever again. Isn't that just a legend? The ancient writings tell of the storm wiping out all but a few Pokémon. In their sorrow, the water of their tears somehow restored the lives lost in the storm. But there are no Pokémon tears today, just waters which no one can survive. And that's why your ferry to New Island's been cancelled! Like, yeah, sure, it's foreshadowing the story, but in the context of the scene, this is kind of out of nowhere. A small handful of trainers declare their intent to go anyway, using their Pokemon to traverse the storm. Jenny warns against this, saying that if their Pokemon get hurt, they're out of luck healing them since the Pokemon Center is shut down. Ash inquires as to why, Jenny saying that the nurse Joy who runs it vanished about a month ago. Brock then looks at her missing person poster, remarking on her beauty before realizing that she looks oddly familiar. You may think this is a joke about the Joy family similarities, but as revealed in a Pokemon League episode, Brock is remarkably able to tell them apart, so his musing should actually be some cause for concern. As the storm rages on, several trainers ignore the warnings of Jenny and set off for the island, either flying on a bird or riding a water Pokemon. Interesting note, there's one trainer that sets off on a Fero, but despite appearing in the harbor gathering in the earlier scene, she's not shown with the same group later and doesn't appear at all for the rest of the film, leading to some people to believe she gets lost or even dies in the storm. Now, I'm not one for random dark theories usually, but I can kind of believe this one. Jenny yells for them to come back, but the harbor manager tells her that some trainers have no fear, and that's what will make them great one day. Wishing those setting off good luck. The Poke Crew rush over to another one of the docks, Ash determined to make it to the island somehow. He thinks he can use their water Pokemon to get there, but Misty says that their team wouldn't be strong enough to handle those waves, Ash defeatedly agreeing. However, the trio are then approached by two familiar figures on the small rowboat, and I'll just let this one play. You want to cross, maybe? We take you young. We Vikings are used to big wave. We get you to new island faster than you can say perfect nougat. Strong. 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 Oh, I think I'm gonna have one. Strong. I didn't know Vikings still existed. They mostly live in Minnesota. As they row on, however, a giant wave crashes over the group. They all miraculously stay on board, but Team Rocket has their disguise washed away. 
They try to be all menacing and give their motto, but another wave crashes into them, knocking everyone off. Misty sends out her star you, riding it to the surface. Brock struggles to stay above water, begging for help, and is thankfully rescued by Misty. As they're both knocked under by another wave, they see Ash riding Squirtle and all grab onto each other to stay together and above the water. I'm just more impressed they could open their eyes under salt water. That stuff hurts. The trio struggle to stay afloat and together, being launched above and under the water by the waves, eventually diving under. Just as the humans and Pikachu start to run out of breath, Squirtle notices a smooth spot in the water, pointing it out as the group surfaces, now floating in the calm eye of the storm. They see Mewtwo's castle fortress thing, which looks rad by the way, and swim towards it, but unknown to them, Mew also arrives. As the trio reach the docks, they're welcomed by Mewtwo's servant, who asks for their invitation. Brock then realizes why the missing nurse Joy looked so familiar. Mewtwo's servant appears to be that same Joy. However, she denies this, saying that she's always served her master on the island, before leading them inside, while Team Rocket surfaces from the water on wheezing underneath the dock. Mew then sees the windmill on top of the tower, and rides it like a little goober before we cut back inside. Our heroes being led to a large chamber where three other trainers, Nisha, Fergus, and Cory, all wait. The servant informs everyone that all the trainers have arrived, Ash expressing surprise that there were this few people. Also, once again, that Firo girl isn't here, so something happened to her probably. After revealing that the storm was a test, the servant asked that the trainers let their Pokemon out and wait for the master of the palace. Team Rocket watches from outside just as the doors close, upset that they are missing the party. Jesse then notices a water drainage tunnel, saying that they should enter that way. Mew then flies right behind her head, Jesse turning around just too late to see it. This scene is actually a bit more tragic if you know that Jesse's mom died on an expedition for Mew, and her daughter was mere moments away from seeing the Pokemon that her mother died for. Anyway, inside, Ash's group gets acquainted with the other trainers, two of which have a Blastoise and Venusaur to complement Ash's Charizard. The lights then suddenly go out, a large glowing pillar appearing in front of the middle of a spiral walkway as the servant introduces her master, Mewtwo descending slowly. Yes, the world's greatest Pokemon master is also the most powerful Pokemon on Earth. This is the ruler of New Island and soon the whole world, Mewtwo. Mewtwo. Fergus angrily yells that the Pokemon can't be a trainer, before Mewtwo simultaneously speaks through the servant and with his telepathy, saying that he makes the rules now, lifting the trainer up with Psychic before throwing him into a fountain. Fergus commands his Gyarados to use Hyper Beam, but the attack is blocked and reflected, knocking the dragon out. Mewtwo then releases his servant from her trance. She dizzily stumbles, Brock catching her as it's revealed that she was, indeed, the missing Nurse Joy. Mewtwo just decided that it'd be cool to dress her up in the funny little outfit, I guess. While the trainers upstairs get angry with Mewtwo, Team Rocket sneaks in from the tunnel, emerging in the hallway. While looking around, they come across a lab-like room with multiple tubes on a Nautilus-like machine, three of which contain a Charizard, Venusaur, and Blastoise, all possessing similar markings as their unevolved forms from Mewtwo's early life. Jesse then accidentally leans on the computer, turning it on. 
It introduces its program as a Pokemon replication machine, and skeletal-looking robot arms descend from the ceiling and grab Meowth, putting him on a conveyor belt. He tries to scramble off it, Jesse and James helping, managing to pull him out of the machine right as a tiny claw steals some of his fur. The Rocket Trio then watch in horror and amazement as Meowth's fur is analyzed, and a clone of Meowth falls into another tube, Mew watching this as well. A recording of Fuji from when Mewtwo was destroying the base then begins playing. He explains how his team created Mewtwo, before once again remarking in horror how they were successful before the recording cuts out. The Rockets theorize that this must be the lab that Mewtwo destroyed, somehow rebuilt but unable to figure out by who. Back upstairs, Mewtwo decries the humans as dangerous and cruel, creating him with no purpose, and announces his plan to use the storm in order to destroy everything and make his own world. Brock guesses that he wants to wipe out all humans while sparing the Pokemon, but Mewtwo denies this, saying that Pokemon will die as well due to their willing subjugation to humans. Pikachu then jumps off Ash, saying that Mewtwo is wrong. He and Ash are friends, not master and servant. Mewtwo calls him pathetic, flinging the rodent into Ash. Misty yells that Mewtwo is wrong, and Ash warns him not to harm Pikachu again. Cory then hastily announces his plan to capture Mewtwo like any other Pokemon, sending his Rhyhorn at them. But as expected, Mewtwo stops the Rock-type in its tracks, making it fly backwards across a table. The clone then reaffirms its superiority and invincibility, Ash challenging him to a real match to prove it. Mewtwo then has his starter evolution clones wake up and emerge from their tubes, Team Rocket cowering away from them as they make gross slimy noises. Mewtwo raises them from the ground, saying that just like many trainers, he too began with the Kanto starters, but instead elected to genetically clone and enhance their final forms. A window in the wall opens up, revealing a large battle stadium. Cory and Nisha say that their nicknamed Venusaur and Blastoise won't lose to some darn copy, and Ash tries to join in this by sending out Charizard, with some visible hesitation. The large lizard emerges, scoffing and breathing a little puff of fire to the side. It then notices Mewtwo, and sensing his strength, blasts a full-force flamethrower at him, which is easily blocked, Ash worriedly saying that he never told Charizard to start. Mewtwo makes fun of Ash's poor training, before all the trainers gather outside. Minus Fergus, who I guess is just unconscious or something in the back. Venusaur goes first, it and its clone approaching the center. Cory's Venusaur starts with a razor leaf, but the clone easily knocks them away with a vine whip before picking up and tossing its opponent, winning easily. Blastoise is up next, Nisha's using Hydra Pump, but the clone shell spins through the water blast and into the other turtle, instantly beating it. Misty panically suggests that Ash should forfeit, but our hero refuses. Both of the Charizards step up, Ash warning his to use its speed and not power to win. Both Fire-types fly into the air, Ash's Charizard missing all its attacks as they fly higher and higher, the clone eventually grappling Ash's Pokemon and flinging it to the ground before stomping on it. 
Charizard tries to rise and roar in one last effort, but its injuries overtake it and it faints. While the trainers comfort their Pokemon, Mewtwo declares that since he won, he gets to collect his prize. The other trainer's entire Pokemon team. Black Pokeballs fly out around the stadium, capturing all the starters that battled. Misty asks what Mewtwo is planning, him responding that he will make clones of them, which will remain safe on the island as everything else is destroyed. Brock and Ash try to resist, but Mewtwo flings Ash back into Brock as the Pokemon thefts continue. None of them able to outrun or fight off the black Pokeballs, Mewtwo watching on coldly as the stolen Pokemon are sent to the lower level. Ash then has an idea. Recall the Pokemon back to their balls so they can't be stolen. While this seems smart, the Pokeballs themselves are then captured and carried away. Misty and Brock try to flee with the remaining Pokemon, but Psyduck and Vulpix are both taken while fleeing, only Pikachu and Togepi remaining, as Misty put the latter out of reach in her bag. Pikachu, meanwhile, continues to flee, Ash blocking some of the balls with his own body. The mouse then escapes up the spiral stairway, zapping all the balls as they come, but slowly tiring. Ash also runs up, almost falling before catching and pulling himself back up. Pikachu then also falls, Ash jumping after him. The Pokemon is captured by a ball, but Ash grabs and falls with it, landing in the fountain safely, but letting go of the ball. Refusing to give up, he exits the fountain and runs after it, jumping down the chute that the stolen Pokemon were brought into. Mewtwo's Pokeballs are then put onto the conveyor belt of the cloning machine Meowth was caught on, being scanned and replicated as the Rocket Trio watch, incorrectly identifying Scyther as Alakazam. Apparently, this mistake was actually caught in the dubbing process, but the localizers kept it in because they figured it was in character for Team Rocket to misidentify it like that. The Rockets then see and hear Ash, who insists that he doesn't have time for their motto today as he tries to rescue Pikachu's Pokeball from a swarm of robotic skeleton arms, successfully breaking it free and destroying the cloning machine, but not before Pikachu is cloned as well. Ash lets Pikachu out and is elated to see his best friend is unharmed. Their joy is short-lived, though, as all of the other cloned Pokemon emerge rapidly from the tubes and begin to march to join Mewtwo. Meowth then makes a pun about the clones feeling clonesome, before the cloning machine explodes and causes all of the Pokeballs to fly out and release their captives, Ash reuniting with the rest of his team, minus Charizard, who he is probably still too scared to get near. Upstairs, Mewtwo has his clone starters press the humans up against the stadium wall, announcing that since they've served their purpose, their lives are spared. At least temporarily, as they'll fall to his wrath soon enough, along with everyone else. An explosion in the entrance hall alerts Mewtwo to the clone's arrival, repeating that his army will soon rule. However... Ash soon also emerges from the smoke cloud as well, leading his own small army of the originals in a pretty iconic scene from the series. Both sides face each other, neither backing down. Ash challenges Mewtwo, attempting to straight up punch this large cat in the face, but his attacks are all blocked, and he's then thrown up onto the building, only to have his spine saved at the last second by a pink bubble created by Mew, who summons another one and cutely bounces around on it. 
Mewtwo, not playing games, launches a Shadow Ball to burst Mew's bubble, before launching another barrage of them at Mew, it teleporting out of the way of each one while gradually approaching Mewtwo. Mewtwo says that even though he's just a clone, he will prove his superiority here and now, the rest of the group realizing that, huh, I guess Mewtwo is a clone of Mew, who would have guessed? Also, real quick side note, Mewtwo is so clearly genetically dissimilar to Mew that clone would not really be an apt description anymore, just saying. Mewtwo and Mew then fly around, Mew evading Mewtwo before getting hit by a shadow ball, launching into the sky. Until a few moments later, when another, glowier shadow ball slams into Mewtwo, throwing it to the stadium as Mew descends. Now sufficiently enraged, Mewtwo offers to quickly finish this, having both armies clash to see which is better. Mew then argues against this, Meowth translating that Mew thinks a Pokemon's true strength comes from the heart. A little corny, sure, but I think it's just a bit better than the original, where Mew just says that clone Pokemon aren't real Pokemon and would never win against the originals. Mewtwo then says his clones don't need special powers to win, and makes the fight fair by using his psychic abilities to block the enhancements his clones have and prove their superiority decisively. The two armies then rush each other, Pikachu, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle confused and hesitant. As Ash pulls himself up after almost being hit with a stray shadow ball, he looks over the stadium, watching as all the Pokemon viciously fight their clone counterparts. Not with moves or skill, but pure hand-to-hand -hand punching, aggression, and violence. Mew and Mewtwo, meanwhile, surround themselves in psychic energy and ram into each other. Even Pikachu, running around confused, is drawn into a fight with his clone, but is extremely reluctant to fight. Ash begins climbing down from the building he's on top of, as the fight rages on, the Pokemon tiring, each side struggling to stay up. Joy sadly remarks that Pokemon weren't meant to fight in this fashion, as it's useless and serves no purpose other than to destroy each other. Some people may argue that she has no right to make that statement in context of Pokemon as a whole. After all, fighting is what they do, right? I somewhat, not entirely, but somewhat disagree. The reason trainers and Pokemon battle each other and use special moves and abilities to do so is to grow stronger in friendly competition leading to growth. What she sees and means in the context of this battle is senseless, vicious violence not meant to grow together, but to annihilate the opposition, and due to everyone being copies, mutually destroy each other. That's the difference here. Even Team Rocket comes to a revelation. I was prepared for trouble, but not for this. Make that double for me. Now I can see how horrible fighting really is. Even the best of friends will fight sometimes. I'll promise never to fight again if you will. Oh, oh Jesse! <laughs> <laughs> Meowth's clone then approaches the original, and both prepare to battle. Before each of them immediately lose the will to fight, instead sitting together and philosophizing. You're right. We do have a lot in common. The same height, the same air, the same scar. Maybe if we started looking at what's the same, instead of always looking at what's different, well, who knows? 
While the Pokemon on the ground grow weaker and weaker, Mewtwo and Mew continue to attack each other. Ash continues to climb down, watching as Pikachu is attacked by his copy, but refusing to fight back the entire time. Ash rushes down to save his friend, falling a small bit but quickly crawling forward. Pikachu continues to refuse to fight, his clone resorting to slapping him, but they also lose the will to fight, crying as they do so. Pikachu is slapped to the ground, but slowly rises again. Ash tries to stop them, but falls again from his injury, Brock and Misty rushing to help him. Ash expresses his desire to stop this madness, but his friends and Joy can't think of any way to prevent this combat, both sides looking like they're prepared to go until one of them dies. Someone's gotta take a stand. Someone's gotta say no, and refuse to fight. Just like Pikachu. The two psychic types then slam into the stadium, their shields breaking. They face each other in the center, continuing to fight each other while all the other Pokemon lay around the edges, exhausted and near death. Ash, finally reaching his limits, rushes between Mew and Mewtwo right as they fire another blast at each other, getting hit with both attacks. Our hero then falls to the ground. Mewtwo remarking how foolish he was to get between them. Pikachu then runs over to check on his friend. As Ash slowly turns to stone, Pikachu futilely shaking him sadly. The other Pokemon, original and clone alike, watch on as Pikachu desperately tries to electrocute Ash awake, not knowing what else to do but running out of energy. Pikachu begins crying as the other Pokemon all tear up as well, even Charizard. Their crying turns into sparkles, which all gather around Ash, slowly restoring him to normal, Pikachu's tear being the final one. Ash hugs his Pokemon as the others all look on happily. Mewtwo and Mew then converse with each other. The human sacrificed himself to save the Pokemon. I pitted them against each other, but not until they set aside their differences did I see the true power they all shared deep inside. I see now that the circumstances of one's birth are irrelevant. It is what you do with the gift of life that determines who you are. The two then levitate the clones into the sky, Mewtwo letting everyone know his intent to leave peacefully and hide away with his clones to learn what Ash seems to have already known in his heart, what it means to live. He then says that while he will not forget what happened this day, it would probably be best for everyone else if these events were forgotten, a light forming under everyone as it fades to white. We cut back to the ferry port, the storm still going, Officer Jenny repeating the same warning she gave at the start of the film. However, this time, Nurse Joy announces that the Pokemon Center is willing to serve as a shelter for all those stranded until the storm ends. Ash's group watches, Brock commenting on Jenny and Joy's beauty, none of them realizing that they're experiencing similar but different events as the beginning, or that time has even passed. Ash then asks what they're even doing here, with Misty unable to answer. But Ash deciding eh, it's probably best not to worry about it and to go get some food instead. Someone outside then yells about a miracle. Ash's trio, the trainers that were on the island, Jenny and the harbor manager all walking outside to see that the storm has suddenly cleared up, sunlight peeking through the clouds. Ash then sees Mew flying through the sky, but it hides behind a cloud before he can get a clear look at it. 
He then smiles softly and recounts to his friends about seeing a rare Pokemon fly through the sky when he set off on his journey, saying that he swore he just saw another one. The narrator then closes us out, saying that the group was going to continue on their journey and uncover more mysteries about Pokemon as they do so. And of course, in typical anime fashion, we end with a Team Rocket torture scene. They're all stranded on a grassy island, unsure how they got there, but seemingly unbothered by it. Happy to have a peaceful moment to relax in some nice scenery. Signing us off before we get some credits of our heroes watching some scenery on their journey. Team Rocket signing off again! <laughs> you have any sunscreen? You know, I'd really like to go sailing in one of them catamarans. <laughs> oh boy, I've got a lot to say here. Where should I even begin? Um, I guess I should start with some of the extra details I couldn't discuss in the summary. First off, I think that this movie takes place right after the Pikahuna episode. By that point, Mewtwo had confirmed escape in Mr. Mime's episode, but Ash hasn't gone for the league yet, since he rushed right there and then from there to the Orange Island, leaving no time for this Kanto movie to happen. Plus, they're already near the sea, and shots of Pallet Town in the anime don't indicate that they're anywhere near the water, so I think it's sensible to assume that this takes place right before they leave Seafoam Island. Also, another interesting note is that the whole intro section was both made and then lengthened just because of the Porygon incident. The show got delayed, but the movie's schedule was on track, meaning it would come out before the show even got close to that point. So, in order to help people who had no idea what was going on as a result, they shoved in some quick extra backstory with Giovanni. And I actually think it helps the movie a lot. Since, you know, Pokemon is so long-running, a lot of people will probably see the movie without watching every episode of the show. So, the extra info in the introduction helps in the long run. Something else I find interesting is the difference between the original and the dub of the movie. In the original, it focused a lot more on the existentialism aspect, pondering the point of existence. Meanwhile, the dub added and put a lot more emphasis on an anti-racism message. Someone way smarter than me can make a better analysis on why this is fascinating and as an indicator between the differences of our countries, but the most I can do is just point out how it's interesting. Another thing I want to note is that when trying to look for extra stuff to talk about this movie, I stumbled upon some Rotten Tomato reviews for the film. Now, aside from the fact that I think it's pretty funny people are reviewing this movie in 2020 and complaining about how it's just marketing the game, which is now more than 20 years old, there were a couple of things that bothered me. Now, obviously not everyone is going to like the movie, and I'm not bashing people's opinion on it just because they didn't enjoy it, but a common complaint I saw in the reviews from like 2019 to 2020 was talking about bad animation. Like, sure, it's not Studio Ghibli, but this movie looks great, especially compared to the show. It has some impressive designs, everyone moves pretty fluidly while still staying true to the design of the original series, and it has that graininess that old anime movies have, which is something that I personally enjoy aesthetically. Sure, the usage of CGI for some things doesn't look great, I'll concede that. I think that it would have looked much better traditionally animated. But it doesn't, as one reviewer says, have extremely low-budget Japanimation that, were it only more proficiently executed, would rival Scooby-Doo as the most astounding work of art in the 20th century. 
Once again, you can dislike the movie, especially as someone who's not a fan of the Pokemon series, something you have to be to get the most out of this movie. But the animation and soundtrack are incredible, and I feel like that's kind of indisputable. And I notice animation flaws and stuff I like as a kid, yet I still say that this looks great. So, in the end, the first Pokemon movie is pretty good. I think the anti-violence message in the English version does get kind of muddled unless you dig into it super deep like I did, but it's still there at least. And the existentialism in both versions is a pretty interesting concept to explore for what is definitely a movie meant for kids. It's also not a concept that I see a lot of other movies even really exploring, and I think the Pokemon movie is oddly fantastic for this theme. Mewtwo himself really kind of sets that up to be a really interesting topic of conversation and thought. And I know that a lot of people cry at the scene where Ash dies. Except he doesn't die, he actually just turns into stone and the tears restore him. But that scene never really got to me. The honor of my tears goes to Pokemon Heroes ending, which we'll get to one day. That one, that one really cuts deep. Also, out of all of the Pokemon movies, neither of those get the honor of my favorite either. That one goes to Pokemon 2000, which we'll also get to one day soon. But for now, to close out, this movie is a classic. And before we leave, I would like to thank you once again for listening to I Want to Watch the Very Best. If you enjoyed it, I would love it if you press the subscribe, follow, whatever the service you're using uses to let you know that another episode is out. That was a sentence. Wow. And also, maybe consider telling your friends. Wink. Wink. Haha. Wink. You definitely don't have to, but I would appreciate it. It would mean something to me. And, as always, have a beautiful morning, day, evening, night, outside of space-time, whatever it is... Just have a good one, my dudes. Bye.